if you don't listen to people when they're putting an improvement in and something fails, they're not going to come forward with suggestions as easy as next mm -hmm. time because, you know, they don't feel listened to. But it, if you involve everyone in the process and they can clearly see what's in it for them and how it's going to benefit their way of working, then you'll get buy-in. But it's about when you're putting a system in, this is going to do wonders for the company, but also everybody needs to know how they fit in and therefore how the system will benefit them. Unless you can really describe every step of your process, then automation and software um, are very difficult. So I think walking, I always start from the customer journey from, from an early inquiry right through to a paid happy customer at the end. And we walk the journey step by step. And for me, each step of the process needs to be thought about. Made to Grow, the podcast for SME manufacturers Brought to you by Flowlens, the simple, affordable MRP system. Over the coming 10 episodes, we've got a host of experienced manufacturers, industry thought leaders, and subject matter experts sharing their personal stories and professional insights to help you on your manufacturing success story. So, stay tuned and subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts for a new episode every fortnight. My guest this week is Angela Fumpson a quality engineer, author, mentor, and process improvement expert who is passionate about getting people and their systems working together. Angela brings a wealth of experience to our conversation as we discuss the nuances of effective process mapping, the pros and cons of off-the-shelf versus custom software, and planning ahead for the challenge of implementing new systems. The most successful change is people-driven, and Angela imparts many important lessons you'll not want to miss. Welcome uh, to today's episode, uh, Angela Thompson, uh, author, coach, uh, experienced uh, quality expert in manufacturing um, professional. Thank you for, for joining us today, Angela. Well, nice to be here. Good to catch up. Um, it'd be great if you could give our listeners just a, a little bit more detail about your, uh, your background and what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, sure. Um, my background is engineering. So uh, I studied mechanical engineering, but very quickly in my journey, I started to go down the route of business improvement, quality assurance and quality management, um, and ended up part-owning a, a metal pressing company. So working with the likes of the automotive industry, um, that very heavily drew me into process improvement and process mapping. And now as a business mentor, my passion is to get people and their systems right and working together in harmony, basically. So putting the people and the process together to make the business run as well as possible. So that's that's my sort of quick background. Brilliant. Yeah, that's the, that's the holy grail. I suppose um, people think about systems sometimes as the the silver bullet or perhaps the holy grail, the thing that will dig them out of a, out of a hole. But the, the marriage of the, the people and the right system is really what's going to to get the results that people hope for. Um, yeah, and absolutely. It's a, absolutely. It's a subject that's very close to to our hearts in terms of how we interact with our own customers. Um, so I thought it'd be great to, to, to talk. There's m many topics that you and I could um, talk about perhaps in, in future episodes. But I think for, for this one, if we focus down on that point about um, the systems and the people and um, what you really need to to do first, if if you want to get the most out of out of any investment in systems, what are the uh, what are the steps um, 
to, to take before you even contemplate uh, looking at Google and figuring out you know what system you might want to to, to buy. I think um, is it's knowing your process first. You know, unless you can really describe every step of your process, then automation and software um, are very difficult. So I think walking. I always start from the customer journey, from from an early inquiry right through to a paid happy customer at the end, and we walk the journey step by step. And for me, each step of the process needs to be thought about because obviously if you go into software, then you're in the realms of data and users and permissions and all that lovely stuff. So it's about thinking about the trigger, what triggers the step of each process who does it, what are the resources or data that are needed, and how do you know it's satisfactorily done before you move on to the next step of the process. So, and I always um, just walk very, very slowly from start to finish and then ask and then what. And I suppose one of the most important things to include on that process map, that journey, if you like, is asking the what ifs. What if it doesn't happen, then what? Mm -hmm. so that you cover everything. And that's just to start because that's your status quo process. I was going to yeah, raise that because um, a lot of processes have kind of evolved organically and it's just the way it's been done all, you know, for all time. Yeah. And, you know, the, the assumed right way to do things isn't always the, the most um, efficient or appropriate yeah. for today's customer requirement you know so well, how, how do you challenge the the kind of status quo thinking whenever you're doing that i think it's just getting people i love telling stories stories are what helps people understand you know where they've come from where they're going and absolutely everybody's been helpful trying to grow the company and if you've had a problem then everybody puts another system in place to make sure obviously it doesn't happen again but when you think about the nature of how people grow and they might bring someone in to help um, for example a growing company and you bring someone in on admin you might bring someone in on projects and you start to tell them how the business work and they make notes and it grows and they bring somebody else into the office and they tell them what to do and they make notes. And those notes are so useful and so helpful, they might become the procedures. But then when you think about that scenario, the most inexperienced in the person in the company has just written the procedure. Mm -hmm. Instead of the MD designing how their business is going to work and using that as the procedure to bring somebody in and train them on. It's just the way we grow naturally, organically. It's just one scenario to think about. But I would imagine there's lots of people that can resonate with that. Absolutely. Do, do you ever actually involve the customer in a mapping session? Um, not until now. <laughs> we might. I might if it's a, pro, a specific process improvement, as in production shop floor due to a concern with a customer, and I might work as a team like that. If it's the whole business process, then I normally involve each individual in the company on that process. So, for example, you interview the person for that stage of the process to find out everything. And there may be two or three working in that department. So you need everybody's input and then obviously get a consensus on the best way to do it. But again, this is only mapping the status quo. Mm -hmm. You know, the next stage is to get everybody thinking about their customer journey because the customer is most important and do almost like a blue sky thinking approach as to if anything was possible, how would we 
treat the customer and what do we need and what's important. And then you remap it with the more streamlined approach that everyone would like. So you don't, you don't automate the existing status quo, you actually automate the streamlined um, approach. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And do you find getting people involved in that is a struggle or is it, is it a positive no. experience? My, I suppose my experience as an external provider, I think might be a bit different to companies trying to do it internally. It all depends on the person walking the journey. If it's too high a level management, there could be a tendency to clam up and not really talk on, you know, it could be feeling like you're being audited. When it's an external person in with no agenda, no internal office politics, if you like, and we're just there to help, most people just love to be listened to. Mm -hmm. And so I get a very open conversation at every stage of the process. Yeah, we find the same thing. I think, you know, the defences come down whenever you're an external third party and you're not trying to impose something on them. You're actually, as you say, you're you're listening to them, yeah. you're hearing um, uh, where they're going wrong or not, or where they're running into challenges and, and, and whatnot. And what about uh, the, the sort of departmental overlap? Because I, sometimes in my experience, that's where I've seen friction where, or, or even just uh, just um, the siloed thinking where pe people don't realize the impact downstream of a, of a thing that they're doing or Absolutely. that they're creating work for, for somebody, you know, for, further back in the chain that's unnecessary. How, you know, how do you, uh, how do you handle that? I think it, that's really, really important. And the process approach, when you're doing the true process approach, um, people are focused on the journey of things rather than departments. So they're watching the service or the product go on the journey with the customer. And I think there will always be that silo effect sometimes. And it's a bit like working with Hoshin Canary. It's how do we break down those walls? How do we um, get the internal customers going and what do they need um, and help them understand, you know, what part of the system and what the trigger is and what the result is and how, how you pass it to the next person and how do you pass the information to the next person in the best way to help them do the best job possible. And that's what internal customers are all about. But help them look at the system and the process rather than the department and the who's and the responsibilities. I think systems, in my opinion, break down the blame culture because we stop saying whose job was it? And we look mm -hmm. at the system and say, what is the system and what the process is? And maybe maybe there's a gap. Maybe it was never designed. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not anyone's fault or anyone's problem. We look at the system before the people. And the idea is the system needs to be really, really easy and helpful for the people to follow. Like Gaps tend to be the places where spreadsheets flourish because everyone then thinks, oh, well, I'll, I'll just deal with that and I'll... Yeah throw a spreadsheet together and somebody else then does it differently and all of a yep. sudden you've got all these spreadsheets that sort of have the same data but not quite bridging there, there, there's a problem with that yeah somebody is always being really helpful in uh, creating a form or a template or a spreadsheet yeah. rather than um, putting it into the system maybe they feel that it can't um, there's also a very historic thing that I've seen um, almost like secret information. This is my spreadsheet. I control it. So I am useful 
and everybody needs me. And as long as I'm needed, I will feel that status in the company. So you have to be really careful that everybody needs uh, fulfilled. There's a, a model called the SCARF model and status and certainty and safety and fairness, all of that come into play. So you've got to make sure people's needs are met. And, yeah. and sometimes that data is held onto because the culture isn't there for the knowledge share and the, the working together and the teamwork. Coming back to the process mapping exercise, you know, with say a small team of um, five, 10, 15 people, you can get everyone in one room um, yeah. and they can work, walk the journey together. Um, how do you tackle that whenever it's not practical to get everyone in the in the same place? I don't, I don't tend to get people together in the first instance. Well, I mean more to do with the customer journey, right? You know, yeah. after you've done the interviews and you you, you were starting to brainstorm and, and look at the, the the blue sky. You can do it virtually. You know, there's some amazing tools, virtual white whiteboards, you know, posters, all that kind of thing. And I think it's sometimes it's about posting it up and letting people just absorb and think about it. So the process, you've mapped the status quo. I always allow people to think about that and relook at it and add it and, and, and just come back with ideas before we even get together and just sit with it for a bit and say, right, well, have we missed anything? Just so they can, you know, because it's quite often a very big process map. It's high level, but it's the whole business. So you allow people time to digest that and add it and comment and, you know, get any ideas. And then you think about the customer journey. And then mm -hmm. you can do that virtually. You can walk it. But you've already got the process map in in position to talk about. So everyone can have a look at it and come to a meeting and talk through their, how they would like to see things done. And then you can remap and, again, come through the same process uh, and, and have input and ideas on it before you finalise it. How long would you typically spend with a company to get to the point where you're, everyone's kind of aligned on on something um the the actual extraction of data is very quick one to yeah. two days um then you want a week to digest it normally and then probably a brainstorming morning and then you you redo the process and the map and again it's just a matter of days just to get everybody on the same page um and agree it mm -hmm. And then literally it's it's thinking about solutions and the, the hardest bit is looking at what's available, um, how it fits. Um, there may be industry recommended software. So you've really got to ask the right questions. But once you've got your process map, you can then ask the software developers the right questions. That's yeah. the key when you're, you're not so um, overwhelmed. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think we often get people requesting a free trial of, of Flowlands um, as a way to, to figure out what they need. I, I think it's the other way around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <clears throat> um, they, haven't, they haven't done that process mapping exercise. And at this stage, you know, if, if somebody says, no, we haven't done a process map, we tend to um, pass them back then and say, well, that, here's some material. We, we have an ebook that describes the kind of, you know, our recommendations for process mapping and then come back to us once you've once you've done that um, but I think as well as process mapping it's understanding the big vision and the strategy so for me I mean I'm quite lucky because I never quite leave my coach and mentor head when I'm <laughs> when I, when I'm process mapping and 
the conversation with the business owner as to where they're going as a company and growth and scale and you know that side of things is as important because what you invest in now you might not be suitable in two years time if you've got a massive a massive growth plan or acquisition plan or um you know there's huge things that could be in the um strategy that you don't know about so that's as important as the process map I do you get um the owner to sort of share a lot of their vision with the team absolutely yeah yeah Yeah. and that's why I find sometimes the the you know the culture needs to shift a little bit because that might be that people are moving and making so when you're making decisions as a senior management in a company if you don't understand the big picture and the strategy sometimes the decision making you're doing is out of alignment with where the company's going so sometimes that's where I get involved in to help deploy the strategy and how mm-hmm. to trans translate all of that down to the different tiers right down to the shop floor and how they make a difference and play their part or even bottom up how <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah. but you know it's it's what what do you need to do and how do you need to do it and what's critical in you know your world yeah the part that you play in the company a lot of um reading i do and, and sort of you know we pick these things up where the shop floor tends to know about the problems that will stop that strategy from working a lot more than <laughs> the managers or the, the, the boss. Yeah. Um, you know, the practicalities of certain things. Not not you know you don't want people who are going to be blockers, but they just know the way the reality works. And that I've seen that in the past whenever we've been work, working with Sometimes companies. it's just language. Sometimes well, yeah. it's just you know like deploying strategy don't sometimes it is a matter of language because um, I've been in companies where they say, you know, Fred over there, he just will not teach someone. He won't train somebody. Um, and uh, they might have said, you know, we've tried teaching X, Y, you know, this person, that person, he just won't teach somebody or train somebody. And then you find that he's um, they've given him an, I- an iPad or a tablet to start writing down the settings because you, you have to worry about passing knowledge on. Uh, and you go and have a chat to him and he's written down all the settings for a few jobs and it looks really good. And then you ask them the question about, well, I tell you what, why don't we why don't we test this? And your instructions you've got for setting this job, why don't we let somebody else follow them and see if it works? And the comment I got was great, but perhaps they can, you know, pick up some gaps, see if they can it makes sense, and if not, we can change the records and but that's teaching. That's training. Mm-hmm. I just haven't called him a a trainer. I've just looked at what he's doing and the, the the records that he's producing, and he's just agreed to show somebody and go through it and work together with them. So sure. it's labelling. Some people just don't want the responsibility, or you know, they don't want to be called a a team leader or a trainer. But when you talk to them about their passion and what they're doing, I can share and inspire people that's rather than yeah, yeah. Coming back to the, the you know the people and systems piece, mm-hmm. then, and you specifically mentioned then you know looking at the market, yeah. Um, you know, unless you're going to to build a custom piece of software or pay somebody to build a custom piece of software, um, you're going to be looking at the market for the options that and finding the best fit. Um, yeah, there's normally you know, three you... things I think. There's either bespoke or there's modular or there's off the shelf, and it all depends on budget and you know where you're going and what you need to support in the future. 
The Made to Grow podcast is brought to you by Flowlens, the simple, affordable MRP system specifically designed for SME device, equipment and machinery manufacturers. Our top-rated cloud-based software can help you cut down on wasted materials, time and money and eliminate the chaos of running your manufacturing with spreadsheets and hope. Our customers have reported savings of over a day per week per person in their business by cutting out needless admin, duplication of work and countless mistakes. Plus, lead times are shortened by up to 75%. And after hundreds of successful implementations, we've got the blueprint for manufacturing success nailed down. Head over to flowlens.com for a quick video tour of the software and to hear from more manufacturers like you who have transformed their businesses with Flowlens. Now, back to the interview. How do you see companies um, figuring out where to compromise when the software doesn't fit exactly? Um, I, I think you've got to go with the best commercial decision. Is, you know, As a company, you know what you can afford to invest. There's no point overburdening the company money-wise or time-wise or resource-wise if, if you can't support it. So I think some of the time it comes down to commercial decision. If it's just one thing, then it might be worth um, investing in a little bit of uh, specific programming to do that or uh, a link to another piece of software. Uh, That's also doable, but you have to remember the more links that you have and the more things talking to one another, the more risk that they may not always talk to one another in the future. And there's Mm -hmm. always a risk for breakage. So I think I think it is a compromise, um, and if there's something that a system can't do, but it's perfect in other in, in every other way, I think you need to sit and think very seriously about that. What value does it add? Yeah. 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 Also, if the software people are willing to look at development in the future, so you might find a very very useful person. That, you know that that change has been voted for and it is in the next year that they are looking to build it in, in mm-hmm. which case it's worth working with that supplier. Yeah. That's certainly the way we operate by and large is, you know, we um, kind of parse all the feedback and suggestions that we, we get and look for the ones that are most universally mm-hmm. um, demanded and or requested. And that helps us um, prioritize and also, you know, you mentioned it earlier, you know, sort of being relatively specialized, uh, you know, we, we are, you know, you, you will find software that, that operates in a certain um, vertical and therefore, you know, the use cases should align with, with how the, the customers broadly operate. Yeah, I quite often see a lot of industry specific software now, which helps, which does help because then you can have it geared up to very specifics of a, an industry. Mm-hmm. Um, we were just chatting off air before we started the, the recording about then the the implementation side of things and yeah. reinforcement. Could you share that? <laughs> share that story. Interesting insight. It it is. Um, it was a, a one of these team building exercises I saw many 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 years ago. But it it really hit home about how you support the implement implementation of software systems. I've seen so many that. Even even if you invest in the training and you bring the software in, um, they still don't continue. For some reason, they fail, and somebody's brought in a spreadsheet. So they by the time you know you talk to them, 
a year or so ahead, there, there's a spreadsheet running and a software, and, and they can't see how to go backwards to start again to put all the data in together. And I find it's because you need a second wave of support. You can wait for people to ask for help, but they feel they need to be getting on with it. And that doesn't always happen. So there needs to be a second wave of support. What I mean by that is I saw an exercise of writing your name or, you know, a, a sentence and actually setting the timer and setting it, telling your teams that, you know, every piece of paper with the correct sentence written on it will be counted and they're timed and they record themselves writing the sentence and they plot a graph. So you would expect they get faster and faster. And then you tell them they have to write it backwards and time themselves again. <laughs> so they start writing it backwards. And when they time themselves and plot the graph, they find a very interesting thing. They get faster and then they slow down and then they get faster again. Because the way the brain works is you start writing it and then the brain goes, have I missed anything? Because you've told them if it's wrong, it doesn't count. So you start questioning. I better, I better slow down and just check all the all the letters are in, you know, in the right backwards order. So I'm getting it right. And then they speed up again. And I think that works within with any software system. You start questioning it. It's a bit clunky. Is it worth it? Am I doing the right thing? Does it work this way? And it will. At that point, you need the second wave of support and reassurance and confidence that it's being implemented in the right way. And then it will it will flourish. But it's a second wave of support that I think is needed. Mm -hmm. And there will okay. be fine tuning as well. That you know, it's really good to listen. Exactly. I was just going to say that because. You know, there's only so much you can absorb and, and and then start to execute on initially whenever you're implementing a system because you have to get all of your parts sorted out. You've got bills of materials, yeah. data, you know, you have to start figuring out how to keep, you know, the business running because you need to get orders through. Um, and it's a, you know, it's a, a feat um, just to get that. Yeah. Um, and never mind all of the little bells and whistles that you, you, you haven't time to figure out. So that second wave allows you to fine tune what you've already been doing, but then yeah. step back and figure out, hey, this system offers X, Y, and Z other features, or now I have this data and a structured and um, kind of unduplicated. Uh, you get more confidence as well. And the more confidence you get, the more you want to try other things and design, and, and the more you'll see, you're more, you know, once with software, the more you use it, the more art of the possible that you see. And it's like, yes, I, I realize I can do this now. And wouldn't it be great if I can? And the questions come out and it's brilliant because you can, you can start really fine tuning and really developing. But mm -hmm. you're right about continuity of service. That's so, I mean, I've been in systems where in, we can't improve what they've got. We can build another pipeline parallel and then shift across to it. But to actually readjust what they're doing would just disrupt business so much that we have to build a parallel one. Yeah, yeah. So you have to be careful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's a, the challenge here is because you, you only really get one shot at at this, particularly in a small company, because the fatigue that builds in with system change, um, you know, is significant enough because of that learning curve and that pain. Um, that if you get it wrong, it, uh, you know, you'll never get um, the buy-in for it again. So. Yeah, there is. I mean, that's always been the case. You know, my background's quality and quality circles, and and you know. If you don't listen to people when they're putting an improvement in and something fails, they're not going to come forward with suggestions as easy as mm -hmm. next time because, you know, they don't feel listened to. But if you involve everyone in the process 
and they can clearly see what's in it for them and how it's going to benefit their way of working, then you'll get buy-in. But it's about when you're putting a system in, this is going to do wonders for the company, but also everybody needs to know how they fit in and therefore how the system will benefit them. Yeah. And then you'll watch a very different implementation plan. That's a neat way maybe to draw the conversation to a conclusion, actually, because yeah. um, uh, you know, that, that process of, of um, listening, interviewing, yeah. mapping, and reflection, then remapping, um, if it's done right, it, it allows people the opportunity to, f- to feel heard and feel valued in, in the process. Absolutely. And I think, you know, having the facilitator there, you know, your role as the honest broker, no vested interests, no office politics. Now, um, you'd be surprised what it can do, a process map, because you will also see a lot of upsells, places that you've missed the opportunity to talk to the customer or, mm-hmm. you know, because every interaction with your customer counts. Yeah. So you will see so many benefits when doing a process map, as well as getting ready for software. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling I might know the answer to this question, or but you know, if you could summarize a kind of actionable piece of advice to leave our listeners with, what would it be? Yeah, it is is taking time to process map, involve everybody, don't do it alone, and when you've got the results, share it with everybody and take time to reflect and look at it, and and don't automate your current process. Have time to streamline and design your ultimate process because I guarantee it wasn't designed in the first place. Everybody's built it together and having that helicopter view and, and the stand back moment will, will help. And then you'll be really uh, working like clockwork because you'll be automating your most optimum process. But do the work and plan first and then plan the change well and plan the support well. Because it is no mean feat. It's quite um, quite a major challenge to put software into a company. Yeah, agreed. One final reflection on that is, you know, the as well as having a, a facilitator who can help, um, particularly maybe in cultures where you're not not used to sharing so much. Mm. I think the other thing within the business, um, you know, if you haven't got somebody who's running the project, um, who basically knows the business inside out. Um, they won't have the authority or the knowledge um, uh, to be able to, to, to carry it through um, because it is a, a huge undertaking. Um, I think you do need to choose your champions, Is I think is the phrase, you know, have people that, that are given the time and the resources to get the job done. Don't expect it to be a small feat and, and give somebody the job of running it, but then they need to run their job as well. Mm-hmm. So you need to allow, if you're going to have somebody put something like this together as a project, give them the resources and time to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And manage it properly. Yeah. Brilliant. Angela, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. I thank you very much for um, sharing your experience and, and knowledge with us. Um, how do people find you if they'd like to, to kind of follow up and um, check out your... They will, yeah, if they, um, my company's White Tiger, so you can find white-tiger.co.uk. That's my company. But I'm on most socials as Angela Thompson, just as me. So reach out, LinkedIn, Instagram, yeah, Facebook. I've also, I've also um, 
got the book Business Journey for Tigers, and that is a DIY version of Walk in Your Process. So that's always a good one to look at. Brilliant. Available at all good bookstores? Uh, yeah, yeah, but message me. It's probably easier than buying it through the giants. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. Okay, well, once again, Angela, thanks very much. It's been a pleasure to have you. Oh, thanks. It's been really good to talk to you. I hope you got as much as I did from this conversation. Vision setting is often overlooked when it comes to system change, but it's such a vital part of understanding where you're going and what you'll need to take you there. It was also useful to hear Angela's thoughts on the importance of mapping your current processes before you start looking for efficiencies, and to hear her advice echoing some of our previous guest thoughts on the importance of choosing your champion, the person who will lead the change internally, and the importance of carving out the time and resources for them to succeed. Next episode, I'll be talking to Anila Rose, MD of Rose Media Group, a specialist PR agency that focuses on the manufacturing and engineering sector. We dive into the realities of PR, where it fits into your overall marketing strategy, and how brand awareness and reputation management can translate into sales for your business. Till next time, thanks for listening.